Hey, welcome to Neil Geezing, the Valley Indie Podcast. Today I'm talking about the flood of 55. Happened 64 years ago this month. I'm going to be interviewing Jody Mosdra-Gill. She's an associate professor of journalism at Southern Connecticut State University. And about five, six, seven years ago or so, she did for a graduate project this uh, interactive map and video series on the flood of 55, which is still visible on electronicvalley.org. Here we go. At this time, we take you by telephone recording to Ansonia for the first direct report on conditions in that town in the last four hours. Come in, Ansonia. Hello. Hello. Officer, this is George Phillips at WAVZ. Yeah. What's the situation in Ansonia? Well, the May, uh, Maple Street Bridge came in and the 1955 station wagon went down too, but the guy jumped out before he didn't go into the water to the car then. I see. He escaped, huh? He escaped, officer? Hello? Hello. You say he escaped? That's right. Uh-huh. What's the situation now in Ansonia? Is there water? Well, in... we got no power, nothing, and the uh, Astonic Public Service says they won't have none uh, at least till Sunday. Sunday. No lights or nothing. Uh-huh. What about gas? There's no gas or anything. Is there water in the streets of Ansonia? Oh, yes. They got about four foot of water on Main Street, yet. On Main Street. It started to go down, however. Yeah, it's going down a little, but not much, though. I see. Have you had any casualties at all? Not that we know of yet. Uh-huh. How about houses? Have any been uh, uh, destroyed? Uh, in a whole big block in the corner of Maple and uh, High Street. Uh-huh. What do you hear about Seymour? Anything? Or Norgatuck? Seymour, they claim the state police are just there now. They claim the whole center of the town is gone. Gone? Uh-huh. Uh, well, I know we see three or four houses come down the river here. Uh-huh. You have had no casualties in Ansonia? Not that we know of. We have no report on it. Uh-huh. Is there no, still... We never had no telephone. I don't know how you got in there. For hundreds of years we've brought you the news. You're Jody, you know what I mean? So I'm going to go into my podcast thing. All right, cool. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Naval Gazing. My name is Eugene Driscoll of valleyindy.org. Follow us on Twitter at Valley Indy or on Facebook at Valley Independent Sentinel. Today, we're going to be talking about the flood of 1955. And my guest, I'm very happy to introduce her is Jody Mosier-Gill, an associate professor of journalism at Southern Connecticut State University. Jody, welcome to the podcast. Hello, and thank you for having me. Longtime listeners or uh, hate readers, maybe, I don't know either, of the Valley Indie <laughs> might remember Jody. She started, or we were both hired to launch this thing back in 2009, this thing I'm referring to, the Valley Indie. 
before she left. Now, Jody, we were hired in 2009. And then when did you stop working for us? So I worked through 2012 through July. So I started teaching at Southern in September of 2012. It sounds like you have to remember that. Were you, were you like telling me you were going to Shelton meetings and actually teaching at Southern? Where It sounds like you were being a little... <laughs> No, right. I, which would I be fine. I'm trying I mean, I to remember. Did I? I stopped working. I took a month off, and then I started teaching. So. Yeah, you didn't have to be that precise. But my point was like, <laughs> what I was trying to, you did this project. I think when you were in graduate school, right? That that concerned the uh, flood of '55. Yeah, so I was going to graduate school before I got hired for the Valley Indy. I was taking a class at a time, and then. They had a capstone project that you, you could do anything you wanted. So I said, hey, I'm going to do an oral history of the flood of 55 because I was just so fascinated by, in particular, the lower Naugatuck Valley, just reporting in the towns before I came to the Valley Indy and then during my time there, people were still talking about it. And I'm mm. like, it's a long time since that happened, but you would see photos, you know, when I went to get my oil changed, I'd see a photo on the wall about, you know, from flood damage, or you'd go to the, um, I guess the senior center in Ansonia had a line drawn on the wall where the flood waters went up to. So it's just very present everywhere you went. And I said, I really wanted to find out more about what happened and, and just sort of talk to people about their memories of it. It is interesting how, uh, you know, in modern times, we're always worried about, uh, forgetting the past, you know, but yeah, you're definitely right. That is not happening here in the Naugatuck Valley, or at least the uh, the lower Naugatuck Valley. Uh, so yeah. tell us what you did. How did you uh, put this project together? And I should let people know, if you go to uh, the Electronic Valley, which is a site that Jack Walsh and another person launched years ago, I guess leading up to probably probably 19 years ago at this point, uh, it was a real trailblazing mm -hmm. site for information and data and all things local in the Valley. That is where this project sits. You had worked out something with Jack where it, it, it kind of sits up there permanently, or at least until all the links go corrupt. Uh, but what yeah, is it? Yeah, I looked at it today. There's a, there's a couple links that need to be updated, I, I realized, today. Well, that's how um, fast, so it's just like technology is just, you know, this was a uh, 2012, so that's 100,000 years ago uh, in the internet yeah. world, you know? Um, it is. And so, I, basically, I just started, um, I put out a note on our site and said, hey, does anyone have photos they want to share or stories? And I remember just being inundated, and was it Chad Jansen came into the office one day with a record, the documentary of radio coverage from those days yeah it was something that belonged to, to his it. it had belonged to his brother he's since passed away but yeah the jansen uh, brothers that's how we uh we got this incredible radio documentary we take you now to news editor george phillips for the latest report on the rising flood waters the swollen waters of the naugatuck river are raising havoc with life and property from north to south but reports are meager because there is no direct communication. WAVZ's George Lozada is standing by in Waterbury, where a state of emergency also exists. Water in parts of Waterbury measure seven feet. Power and other utilities are out. Drinking water must be boiled. The day was August 19, 1955. A day stamped in the memories of thousands because it changed the course of their lives. This is the story of that day.
Yeah, it it was remarkable. I mean, the the whole. I remember his record was probably a couple hours long, but I just pulled out pieces where they talked about particular stories along uh, the Naugatuck River and re-edited, like just took little clips from those um, radio broadcasts and took photos that people had submitted and sort of paired them up together into short videos and, and put them onto a map and just you can sort of click on pieces on that map and see stories from along the river. Um, and then I interviewed people as well. So different people from around the area just got in touch with me and said, yeah, I remember that day really, you know, really well, and I'm happy to talk with you about it. Um, and we sat down in, in several different interviews um, and, and just t- they told their stories. And this is at electronicvalley.org for anybody who doesn't know that URL. And if you want to get real specific, it's electronicvalley.org slash derby slash flood slash index if you want to have some fun. And how did you pick out, I'm looking at it right now and under uh, Seymour, there's a map there under the words flood 55 and you can click on each dot, which represents a town. And then this, uh, an interview pops up and this one was Frank Haynes. Uh, recalls mm-hmm. water uh, pouring down into his church at the corner of Broad Street and Derby Avenue in Seymour. How did you find the people uh, to talk to? Um, so I put notes on our site and then through um, like local historical societies. Um, Frank, I, I can't remember how he came to me, but it might have been through the Seymour Historical Society, because that's where we did that interview. And Marion um, O'Keefe, and, I think, helped you, right, from uh, Seymour? Oh, yeah. Okay. And she had a ton of photos um, that had been donated to them, and, and I helped her sort of scan them for, for them, but she let me use them as a result. Um, and so it was really just sort of a, a community effort of, hey, we want these stories told, um, and I was just interested in, in being the one to tell them. Uh, Frank was really interesting. I mean, he, he was talking in particular about the cleanup. But miraculously, the church in the parish house next to it, they, they both stayed, and they were getting the brunt of it. They were, you know, it was amazing. Uh, it's uh, like a 1770 building. Uh, but the whole valley, everybody, I, I, I can't really speak for the valley, but everybody in Seymour, uh, everybody pitched in on it. There were two fire departments, they were, the guys were down, downtown every day for, for months and months. Cleaning out everything, stores, businesses, uh, whatever was left, you know. And we had boards going up the stairs, and then we'd fill up wheelbarrows with mud, push them up the boards, and I mean, it would like 12 or 14 stairs, not three stairs, you know. It was filled with mud and, and debris. I mean, every time you stuck the shovel in, you, you might get a two by four, you might get, you know, a piece of tree, you might get something that washed out of the sports shop. We found, we found fishing poles, uh, uh, sneakers, and, uh, and stuff that got washed out of businesses. Uh. Um, so it was really interesting. It wasn't just, he didn't talk only about that day. He talked about what the community did as a result. How did they sort of come together in the, in the months afterwards? And then in terms of Seymour, the, the, the town you now call home, you moved up there. 
Yeah. Uh, Seymour Town historian Marion O'Keefe, who we just mentioned, is scheduled to give a presentation about the flood of 55. And specifically, I think maybe its impact on Seymour. Uh, it's scheduled for 6.30 p.m. Wednesday. That's August 14th at Seymour Public Library, 46 Church Street. And this is a uh, presentation she's done before. Uh, back in 2017, but she added some additional material for this one. So that should be good. Uh, somebody should live stream that, like me. But uh, the Seymour Public Library, like I said, is 46 <laughs> Church Street. And if you want more information, call the library, 203-888-3903. I also found, Jody, and I, I have never seen this before. One thing I love about the internet and local history is every once in a while you can just search something you've searched a hundred thousand times before on youtube and something new will pop up and mm -hmm. i found it's actually connected to your university southern it's called uh the great flood of 1955 i have no idea if it was like a student project or, or it was a production of six mixed productions and southern connecticut state university and in that documentary, I want to say it was 10 minutes long or so, they interview Ed Cotter, uh, mm -hmm. the, uh, who was uh, in Derby Civil Defense, and he's uh, one of the founders of the Storm Ambulance Corps. Uh, he has since passed uh, here in Derby, but his uh, grandson and entire uh, lineage lives on. Well, I first got, I got uh, involved because I was civil defense director at the time, and... Uh, the morning of the flood, about four o'clock, I got a telephone call they need, that they needed a boat up in Ansonia. And Charles Seckham is on there, who you also uh, interviewed. Yeah. And uh, Charles Seckham is such a class act. You just look at that guy and you think, well, there's a gentleman, you know, in the old fashioned uh, sense of the word. Do you remember anything uh, Charles Seckham told you specifically? Was there anything that stood out in his story? Yeah, so he he was one of three people, I think, who spoke about the Maple Street Bridge um, in Ansonia was just pulled away from, from the road and, and floated downriver with, um, there was apparently a man in a station wagon on the bridge as this was happening. Five o'clock in the morning, my dad got a call from a gentleman up in uh, Winston who had a men's store. He said, we're devastated. The whole main street's gone. My store's gone, meaning his store was gone. And uh, he said, I think you'll find the water's coming your way. So uh, we called a number of the merchants to tell them that a flood was coming. And at that time, we uh, started, went up the street and saw some of the merchants said, well, can we help you clean up your basements to put it up? So we did. We went to some of the stores. We ended up at uh, Marvin's Shoe, which was across the street here and started, I never saw so many shoes and boxes down there, but we brought them all up, but we set them on the floor and some in chairs. And uh, never believing we were gonna get water here because we never have had it. We've had uh, winter um, floods like, but it's when it's the melt, mm -hmm. and it would come up just over onto the railroad tracks. Kennytown Dam let go up in, by, by Seymour, where Daddy was is, and come down, hit the American Brass Steel Bridge, hit the Maple Street Bridge, and when it did, it threw it over to the western part of the town. And that, of course, just put a big wave. And Mr. Seckham passed away in uh, 2017. 
Uh, he was 91 years old, married for 68 years to Agnes Nancy Seckham. So uh, rest in peace, Mr. Seckham. In your documentary or your audio documentary, or your little snippets of audio documentaries, I guess, you also talked to Ted Vartelis. Mm-hmm. Is that yep. I'm unsure. I, I want to say Vartalis, but it's Vartalis. Is that I, right? Do you know? I would say Vartalis, yeah. All right. Apologies if I'm mispronouncing that, but I'm not a broadcaster. But his family owned, I mean, it, he was on the, the Maple Street store, and the entire bridge and the store went kaput when the waters came. Uh, we were at the grocery store. And I believe, you know, we got there about 8 o'clock in the morning, 8.30, you're opening up the store, and saw the you know, river start to rise. The water started to come in the cellar downstairs. It never had happened before, never. I mean, the, you know, the water used to get high, but it never came into the store. I said, oh my God. So anyway, the bottom line, it kept rising. I said, got up to the, I'm trying to remember, the floor level, and now it's on the streets. Like, you know, in the, probably as high as the meter. Pete and I, you know, we, we walked up to the bridge to see how high the water was. Unbelievable, it was like right beneath us. And further up, there was a trestle where people used to go to work to the American Brass. And the trestle was all dark, black-like. Holy Jesus. So what had happened is all the debris coming downstream, the boxes, I mean, the trees and the caskets from Seymour or whatever, we're blocking, you know, we're backing up. So I said to Peter, Pete said to me, I said, geez, we better get those people out. And so we went up the third floor and there was, I think, three people, a husband and a wife and maybe another elderly gentleman. But they wouldn't leave. I said, you got to get out of here. Wouldn't leave. So we actually forcibly took them out. I said, you got to get out of here. So then they would have been gone, they would have been dead. Across the street was another bar, it was called Zyboards. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget, they were, you know, they used to drink early in the morning. Guy was walking out and the water was going through there and he was like drunk. And somehow when he got out the, the main entrance, he, he got like started to get swept away and the owner came out and grabbed him by the arm, pulled him in. He would have been gone, but now the water's really racing, and you couldn't, there's no way we could get up Franklin Street or High Street because now the water's, you know, is going through Broad Street. Now I'm looking across the street at the building, and I hear a crack. And all of a sudden, it started to back off. Not part of the front stayed there, but the thing started to back off, and then that, the river took that. It was a huge building. And so now you're looking at, Say, for example, that was a storefront there. You're looking at half of it. And that's all that remained. And there was a big gully there, you know. I thought we were goners, you know. Because you don't know the water, you know how the water eats the ground away, and you don't know how far under it was. The state would not let us build there. Mm-hmm. He says, you, you own the land, but you can't build it. And what they did is because there was a bend in the river, they wanted to straighten it out, so they took our land and maybe left us a, geez, a little piece of land where you couldn't even put a hot dog stand there. 
As a matter of fact, I could venture to say my family took the biggest percentage loss of anybody in the valley, not dollar-wise, because we were 100% wiped out, whereas other ones could go back, you know. So it was, it was, it was traumatic, you know. You, some, one day you have something, an acid, and the next day you got it, absolutely nothing. If you go across, um, I guess, Maple Street on the corner of, I don't remember what road that is right there, but there's a, there's a sign where his family store used to be. And it's like this little piece of grass. And you're like, how was a store here? But that's because part of the land is just no longer there. On this site stood the Vartalis Family Food Store in existence for half a century. Begun in 1905 by two Greek immigrants, John and Pudiscovi Vartelis. And on that day, as the water rose, Pudiscovi, a widow of only about five months, was hearing about the catastrophe. She was encouraged to walk from her home on Upper Franklin Street down to the top of, of Maple Street. She looked down Maple Street and saw that the Vartelis block, which had been the family sustenance for half a century, had been ravaged and was gone. She simply shook her head, blessed herself, and turned and walked home. That widow and her family moved forward, just like the valley. You know, this, this flood removed entire blocks from the area. It's, it's really amazing to think about. And Seymour, you had a, I don't even know how you got this person, but you interviewed a, a woman whose name I don't have in front of me, uh, who had actually witnessed, because two people died in Seymour. Uh, yes, she was with um, Frank, and she didn't want to go on camera, but she didn't mind having her voice recorded. Um, but she said she witnessed these two women who went back into their home, and then the home was swept down the river. I was in the cemetery watching them. You, and um, you, I can still hear the women's screams as they went over the falls. Yeah. And Seymour, Seymour was hit really hard. Right? Were they hit? The, I've heard Burke Peak and Falls was the worst. Seymour was the worst. From talking to people, what town in the Lower Valley well, seemed to really get hit the hardest? It kind of depends on what you consider being hit the worst. I mean, I don't remember numbers of people who died in each town, but Beacon Falls lost the most number of homes. They lost 78 homes. Yes, from Ansonia, I drove towards Seymour but I had to leave my car a mile away. After crossing the only remaining link into the town, a footbridge, I talked with workers who had rescued hundreds and hundreds that day. Not all their efforts could succeed. Earlier, they had tried to persuade two elderly women to leave their home. For hours, the women haggled and refused. As the water rose, they called for help. The rescuers had them almost within their grasp when the angry torrent snatched the pair from their grip, pulled them into the swirling waters. They have not been seen since. Uh, Seymour and Sonia each lost 60 homes, so they were up there. Um, in terms of dollar amount, I, I didn't break it down by town, but the whole Naugatuck Valley you know, they had an industrial property loss. It was $28.36 million. So they, there was a lot of damage. I wanted to thank you for, first of all, doing this project and, and having this sit out there where anybody in the Valley, if they're aware of it, can go learn some stuff about the flood of 55. Yeah, thanks for talking about it, because I think, you know, especially if you're new to the Valley, this is something that is so 
central to what makes the the community what it is. It's you know it was totally the the community changed as a result of this. So it's good to know about it. And then okay, if you don't mind me bringing it up, you have a daughter now, a baby. Yes. How old is she? She is six and a half months old. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. She's Seymour. I don't know if she's Seymour's youngest resident now, but she's down there. (laughs) She's one of its youngest. And how's that going? A total, uh, actually, we were commiserating a little bit before I hit record. We were just sort of, uh, I don't know. We yeah, both I was sound- wondering, does you it sound get tired. Easier, but What'd you say? I am. I said, does it get any easier? And I don't, I don't think right. it does. It's, you know, it's, it's a new thing. It's totally new to me. And I like a challenge. But then there's some days when I'm like, oh my goodness, this is way harder than I could have ever imagined. But she's beautiful. And it's really, it's, it's highs and lows, but it's, it's more highs at this point. So anyway, I kept you for long enough. You probably have things to do like uh, work and taking care of a, a baby and all that good stuff. So thanks again, Jody. Well, hey, thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Nineteen inches of torrential rains falling in 60 hours over six northeast states bring about the worst flood disaster in recorded American history. Already drenched by the downpour accompanying Hurricane Connie a week previous, swollen streams run amok through one of the most populous and industrial sections of the nation. For hundreds of years we've brought you the news. Gave you the clues. Owners' profits were always sky high. Changing market now threatens our lives. Post literation, critical reading, dumbed down nation signs have been breeding. TV sucking ideas from our head. Public discourse just about dead. We'll ride the dinosaur. Readers are in the opens each day Online clickbait, a brilliant way It's free information, here to stay Not even hookers give it away Advertising, metastasizing Newsroom shrinking Nutrition. We'll ride the dinosaur. We'll ride the dinosaur. Next door, and now we wonder 
Oh, 